3: I went to my friend and told him listen i need to cover this face up i need to do something with it so can you come up with some ideas and he's like yeah we could just put a a void stamp on her face and you don't have to see it i said that's awesome
4: so as soon as he finished it he covered it up the owner like ran over and was like show me the arm and he flips out the owner goes in the office and comes out with a little hatchet
5: it's such a great feeling to know that all the stars are never going to disappear this is something that I can make beautiful, and that's just such a relief, knowing that and I'm not going to have to hide anymore.
6: I told her daddy's tattoo meant that he didn't like people that weren't like him, but daddy doesn't feel that way now, so that's why he got it covered up.
2: I'm Kyone Wolf. Here's stories about tattoo cover-ups, including my own, on Audacious. After the news. Hey, it's Kayone. I want to take a little time to talk with you here at the top of this show. It's a rerun of the episode I did about tattoo cover-ups. And like so many episodes of Audacious, there are always moments of laughter and moments of deep, sometimes difficult reflection. And that is so cool. And what's also cool is that it's because of your support of Connecticut Public that we just welcomed our first Audacious producer, Jessica Severin De Martinez. While she's a longtime fan of public radio, she does not come from the inner workings of our world. She comes to us with experience as an auditor and a poet, two features I did not know I needed in a producer till she applied. In fact, I've got Jessica on the line now. Jessica, can you hear me? I can hear you. Hi, Kyone. Hey, Jessica. Okay, so what better time than during a fun drive to say welcome and thank you for bringing your whole heart to this show. Talk about a few of the ideas you're most excited to tackle in upcoming episodes.
7: So I'll start with the one I mentioned in my interview with you about people who work in freezing temperatures, like what it's like to work in the largest refrigerated warehouse in the country and maybe talk to an Arctic explorer who braves the ice and challenging conditions. And there's also a long-term project that I'm interested in. Topic very close to my heart because I have some firsthand experience from my high school days. So I'd love to follow a high school student from overseas that decides to leave their home country for a year and see how they navigate their way through America. I'm just excited by the idea of keeping track of one person, see how they change over time, and how their experiences mold them into who they are.
2: And that's why I'm
7: so stoked to have you, Jessica. So thank you for
2: joining the Audacious team. And thanks to you. Yeah, you for supporting this show. When you become a member or renew your membership or turn yourself into a sustaining member, you make it so we can take this show to new heights and depths so we can transcend assumptions, humanize the stereotyped and understand the misunderstood. No small task made easier by you. All right. Time to get to the show about tattoos. Now, as you'll hear, I have a ton of tattoos and Jessica, you don't have any, but if you were to get one besides the Connecticut public logo on your throat,
7: what would you get? I think I could work with the blue background of the Connecticut public logo because I would get a boat in the open sea. And I'd like that to remind me of my favorite quote of all times by John Chad. A ship in a harbor is safe, but that's not what ships are built for.
2: I love that quote. Thank you. By the way, do you know the difference between a boat and a ship? I do not. You can put a boat on a ship, but you can't put a ship on a boat. Anyway, on behalf of Jessica and Katie Talarski, I'd like to say thank you for, instead of getting a Connecticut public tattoo, you choose to support this show during the hour it airs. I mean, really, the tattoo idea is a nice gesture, but your pledge will go a lot further. Enjoy. From Connecticut Public Radio in Hartford, this is Audacious. I'm Kyone Wolf, and that is the sound of a modern-day tattoo machine. That sound has changed over the last 7,000 years, of course, when the first evidence of tattoo art was found. Back in those days, tattoos were sometimes created by cutting designs into the skin and rubbing the wound with ink. While the significance or reason behind the oldest known tattoos are total speculation, we do know that often they were applied as sacred rites. And awarded as a signifier of adulthood. In ancient Egypt, it's likely they were used as a means of safeguarding women during pregnancy and birth. And in the ancient Greco Roman world, they were applied on enslaved people who got caught trying to escape. But today, the reasons for getting a tattoo are as distinct as the person getting them. Sometimes it's a memorial to a person or an experience or an idea. Sometimes it's nothing more than something that looks really cool. So today you're going to hear stories about how people have used tattoos to allow their skin to, shall we say, evolve. Since the day I turned 18 in 1998, I've gotten a lot of tattoos. I'd estimate that collectively I've been under the needle for about 45 hours. Some of those hours were devoted to honoring my three big brothers. For my oldest brother, Chris, I wanted the word delirium in kanji, which are Japanese characters. But I really should have consulted with him when I asked him to send me an image of what the word looked like. See, Delirium is a character I felt really close to from the Neil Gaiman comic book series Sandman, and Chris kind of perfectly embodied its main character, Dream. That series, which centers around the stories of seven eternal siblings, was a really important connection that we shared. And Chris lives in Japan, which is why I wanted it in Japanese, but I failed to ask, Just one question that would have prevented my future cover-up. What happens if I separate those Japanese characters? The plan was to get a forest of bamboo stalks running up my arm. They would remind me to bend, to be resilient, and I imagine the characters of the kanji would be stacked on top of each other as their own unique bamboo stalk in the forest. And that would be my ode to Chris. But the major key turned minor when he saw what I'd done. We haven't actually talked about this since it all happened in the late 90s. So when we connected via Zoom this week, I asked him to go back to when I first asked him for the kanji interpretation of delirium.
8: So yeah, I wrote it in kanji and the, I guess there's a lot of ways you could say it in in Japanese, but the the word that I found that seemed the coolest was uh, seishin sakuran, uh, which basically means like mental confusion. Uh, (laughs) and Basically, if you want to boil it down.
2: I mean, that is delirium.
8: But um, <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, it is. No, yeah, no, you're right. <laughs>
8: but the, the thing to know about kanji is they're built up from smaller pieces, right? So they have small units. And you'll, if you're, when you're learning these, you learn these small units. So you can, rec- you can more easily recognize them. And uh, they can be put together in lots of different ways. But the, the four characters for delirium are basically units side by side. So think of like uh, like if you take Jenga blocks or something, t- two vertical Jenga blocks and click them together. That's one character. Two more, that's another. Two more, that's another. Two more, that's another. And they might look like, there's, they can look like any number of things. It might look like you know a grain of rice or a, a square with a line through it or, or a fish hook or whatnot. So anyway, yeah. So that's how this is written. It's these four symbols, each symbol made up of two vertical units.
2: So when you sent these to me, I did not ask whether it was okay to separate them in any way or whether or not that would change the meaning of it me i just took them and i stacked them on top of each other and uh put it as a vertical piece that would be alongside stalks of bamboo on my forearm so then when it was done i sent you a picture of what was on my arm and what did you see
8: I my my stomach fell because I've I've certainly, you know, you've been on the internet, you laugh at tattoo failures and whatnot, and only Grod can judge me or something. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I saw that and I went, oh no. Oh no, 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 no. That means nothing. That's yeah. like if you if you look at it from the top, it's like rice blue, <laughs> uh, the symbol for the the sound ne humble gold (laughs) long ago tongue and a hook that doesn't mean anything i looked at that i went oh no and i said i I can't let her walk around with this and so i had to send you an email that said i'm so 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 sorry but that is wrong in almost every (laughs) conceivable way i just felt so terrible because you're doing this really nice thing you had you such nice intentions
2: (laughs) oh it didn't work and so then I think I came up with a pretty good solution. You have a really dark sense of humor. And the Sandman character that you emulate, Dream, is a dark character. And and to Dream, it must be dark, right? So I filled in your bamboo stalk just with black. And so amidst all these nicely shaded bamboo stalks, there's this one black one, one.
8: Black, brooding, overly serious <laughs> one.
2: Can't get over
8: itself. It's great.
2: But I I wonder, you know, you see... Like you were saying, you see on the internet all these fails.
8: Especially with, with, with foreign languages and Japanese. There's, there's whole websites dedicated to, hey, I got this tattoo when I was drunk. What does it mean? It's like, it means nothing. <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah. yeah, and here now your little baby sister is one of them. And so I wonder if... This intimate fail, this familial fail, <laughs> in which you had so much compassion for me. Yeah. Do you think that you have at least like a smidge more compassion for people who also screw up who you don't know?
8: I do. I do. I think a lot of people go to get their tattoos and, and, and they, have, they have an intention. Uh, so I figure whoever's going to get their tattoos, they've, they've got purpose behind it. Yeah. So I do feel sympathy. I do sometimes laugh, but I I, I do feel I'm not going to lie to you. I'm not going to lie to my sister.
2: (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) You're welcome. Well, thank you for talking with me about this. I love you. Love you too. That was my big brother, Chris Gladys in Osaka, Japan. Next up, Jim Bonaldo of Weathersfield with a cautionary tale. He takes us back to when he was in his early days of getting tattooed.
4: I had just turned 16. I was making uh, my confirmation, which is when you become an adult in the Catholic Church. So I was going to get a cross with like this really edgy, you know, forgive them for you know not what they do. You know, like, oh, yeah.
2: Wait, where were you going to get it on your body?
4: Well, on my arm. So we went, when he was drawing it up, he was a little off. Like he was like moving really slowly, not like slurred speech, but definitely kind of mumbling.
2: But you didn't know him. So you didn't really know if this is just the way this guy is or.
4: Yeah, exactly. So when he drew it on the like parchment paper, whatever they do first, it looked fine. So then we went back in the waiting room while he got ready or whatever. And um, it took a while. Like we had, like I went in, like asked, like is, is everything alright? And the owner was there, and he's yeah, yeah, he's just saying up. So it's like alright. So when we finally sit in the chair, he was kind of like spaced out. Now, like you know, red flags are going off in my head, but I was 16 at the time. I'm a nervous person as it is, so I thought like I was overreacting. I really wasn't the type to kind of advocate for myself yet on feeling uncomfortable and being like, well, maybe this shouldn't happen. So we start and I could just, I could feel like his grip on my arm was more like he was steadying himself as opposed to just like holding my arm to (laughs) to do the tattoo. Looking back on it now, (laughs) there's so many things where I should have just got out of that chair and just been like, nope, this isn't happening. And it got to the point where like it started to hurt. And later on when this would be all over, I would have like black and blues from like his fingers in my arm.
2: How long did it take?
4: Um, About 45 minutes. But it felt, like, a lot longer. Like, he didn't show me, like, throughout the process. Like, I've gotten a lot of tattoos since. And they've always, like, stopped. And they're like, "What? how do you think? And So as soon as he finished it, he covered it up. So as soon as he covered it, the owner, like, ran over and was like, show me the arm. The artist, like, his, now I look and his hand is just shaking. And he takes the cover off. And I couldn't look. But I saw the owner's face. And he flips out. He starts swearing at the guy, pushing him, hitting him. And the guy is pretty much, at this point, a zombie. And um, the owner goes in the office and comes out with a little hatchet.
2: An actual hatchet?
4: Yeah, an actual hatchet. Like the size, like the ones, you know, they have the axe throwing places now. Uh Uh-huh. Like one of those. He just
2: has one lying around in his office, like next to the stencils and the pens and
4: Apparently, I don't know what kind of people he deals with.
2: So he comes out with a hatchet.
4: Yep. The guy, he sees him, like, he wakes up a little bit from from that. He starts to run out of the store. And uh, the owner, he was a big guy, but he was also, like, heavy set. So I don't think he chased him very far (laughs) (laughs) because he he came back. And I vividly remember him, like, gasping for breath. Still didn't look. And then, like, once he puts the axe down and comes over to me, he's, like, a completely different person. He's comforting me. And then, like, he put my arm in front of me to be able to see it. And he started to explain, like, don't worry, like, I can cover this up. We can put something over it. Like, he was apologizing profusely. He was saying a lot of not nice things about that guy, which, looking back on it now, like, why the hell did you employ them?
2: What did you see when you finally saw what this dude did?
4: The cross, like, one side was a lot longer than the other, like, lengthwise. The um horizontal, like, one was just like non-existent and the other one was super long like almost as long as the length some words were just omitted completely and the rest were misspelled
2: so essentially the nightmare scenario for anyone who would ever want to get a tattoo ever
4: exactly yep very good yeah so i was just like in shock for the whole rest of the day like what you just said the worst possible thing like you could think happened to a tattoo like happened to me and i'm 16 So, within that year, I decided I didn't want to be Catholic anymore. So, the the cross was probably going to get covered up eventually.
2: Even if it was done pristinely and without a hatchet? Yeah. A hatchet job. (laughs) There it is. It was right there, Jim.
4: I'm stealing that.
2: So, you you decided to cover this up for more than one reason, because not only was it a crappy tattoo, but you had lost faith in that faith.
4: Yeah, so then I had to go... Like, what's on there now? Like, it just looks ridiculous. Like, you can tell it's to cover-up. Like, anyone who knows anything about tattoos, you see the huge black spot.
2: <laughs> so what is it now?
4: It is a tiger over some weird waterfall thing. It's kind of overlooking a sunset. Like, even on its own, it's not a great tattoo. It's horrible. I didn't take care of it either because I was so bummed. So, like, I got sunburn on it. I let it scab and drew out all the color
2: an interesting sort of self-flagellation for the sins of deciding to get a tattoo at 16 years old yeah so really you're you're good at the catholic game
4: <laughs> yeah i learned well oh two years after i got this cover-up and stuff i got a letter in the mail that apparently the artist had hepatitis and wasn't telling people and that i should probably go to get checked because <laughs> yeah i forgot my wife just said don't forget that part <laughs> Yes, I went. I'm negative and all that, but yeah.
2: Oh, good. That was Jim Bernaldo, father, husband, improv comic, storyteller, and tattoo canvas, living in Wethersfield, Connecticut. When we get back.
3: We signed divorce papers, and I went to my friend and told him, listen, I need to cover this face up. I need to do something with it.
2: I'm Kyone Wolf. This is Audacious. Stay with me. This is Audacious. I'm Kyone Wolf. Today we're talking about how people use tattoos to cover up what was there before. And this next one is about how one person decided to void a marriage, at least on the surface. Addie Irizarry was a professional boxer and is now a school safety officer and boxing trainer living in Tallinn. But when life landed a sucker punch, Addie found a combination to knock him out.
3: I was with my ex-wife and You know, I thought at the time that she was the love of my life, so I decided, oh, let me do a portrait of her on, you know, I'll always have her by my side, so I'll just do a portrait of her, so.
2: Now, this is a portrait of her face on what part of your body?
3: I actually have two, on my calf and and then the front. Wait. My shin. Two of her face? Yes. Two modeling pictures that she had, I tattooed it on my leg. You know, I thought we was going to be together forever, but... It didn't turn out that way. So I decided to kind of cover it up a little bit.
2: After the relationship had ended, how soon did you feel the urgency to cover this up? Was it like, oh, this is over. I'm going tomorrow to get these covered up. Or did you take some time or something else?
3: No, I actually did. I did it pretty quick. Uh, We signed divorce papers and I went to my friend and told them, listen, I need to cover this face up. I need to do something with it. So Can you come up with some ideas? And he's like, yeah, we could just put a a void stamp on her face and you don't have to see it. I said, that's awesome.
2: Wait a minute. How big is the void stamp? Does it cover like most of her face or like half of it or how much? It
3: actually goes across her face diagonally. So I don't see her face at all.
2: Did you get both of her faces voided?
3: I did. That was part of my letting go process, stamping the face. You know what I mean?
2: What do you think it is about you and your personality that made you want to take something so big and painful like a divorce and make it something funny?
3: Oh, that's just how I am. That's just my personality. I don't try to, you know, let things bring me down. I always try to see the funny part of things just to make it a little lighter or whatever. But that's just me. I'm just a funny person, you know. So
2: would you get anyone else's face tattooed on your body again?
3: No, that is the only one that I, I mean, I love my wife currently now. That's a lesson learned. The only one I will get tattooed on me would be my pit bull, Cleo. Because Cleo is not going to do you wrong. No, that's, the, that's my loyal girl right there. She's
2: loyal. So if you could go back to yourself, like back in time and talk to yourself while you were getting her face, her faces tattooed on your body and give yourself a message, what would that message be?
3: I wouldn't change anything about my life. I got good things out of the marriage, I got bad things out of the marriage, but it just makes you stronger. You know what I mean? It's just lessons learned and I'll, I'll take whatever. I would never change anything in my life because I've you know, i I've been through it all, but because I've been through it all, it's made me a stronger person. It's part of the mistakes in life, you know what I mean? You gotta cover it up and keep it moving.
2: That was Addie Irizarry, heavyweight champion of awesome cover-up tattoos. Mike Kalinowski of Baltic, Connecticut found out the hard way how a nice gesture could lead to more time under the needle. He takes us back to the beginning.
1: I was uh, around 20 years old, and one of our friends was saying she couldn't get a tattoo because she was a hemophiliac.
2: Just so people know, what does that mean?
1: Uh, So hemophilia is a disease where your blood doesn't clot. And if you have a major cut, you will bleed to death, more or less, unless you get proper medical attention. As a 20-year-old, I took that as, oh, yeah, I mean, you bleed a little bit when you get a tattoo. So I'm like, being the chivalrous guy I am, why don't I get a tattoo for you, what you would get, and then I'll put your name on it.
2: So are you dating at this
1: point? Or is she just like a buddy in the friend group? She was a friend as a 20, 21 year old guy. I may have ul- ulterior motives, but I didn't expect anything out of it. I wasn't doing it to get something in return. I was just like, hey, let me show you what a great guy I am. I'll get a tattoo for you. So I was like, what would you get if you could get a tattoo? And she said, I would get cherries, because that was her thing. Everything, she'd have t-shirts with cherries, stickers, cherries, the whole deal, you know? So
2: she definitely, definitely was not lying about that. No, no. no.
1: She definitely liked cherries. (laughs) So that was the only thing I know she didn't lie about. (laughs) So I had a friend of mine draw it up, had, you know, nice wind lines and everything, a nice banner that went across, and I put her name on it
2: what dare i ask what, what what's her name uh her name was
1: jamie <laughs> i found out after the fact not only did she lie about not being hemophiliac she also lied about the spelling of her name <laughs> yeah oh yeah no no it just gets better from here she put a y instead of the the i in jamie because it looked cooler
2: well, why do anything, you know?
1: Yeah, of course. I mean, if you're going, if you're going to go big, just go all the way, you know? So
2: Sure. So you, you get your friend to draw up this banner that says Jamie uh, with some cherries and you get this thing done and then she sees it. Yeah. Loved it. Thought it was great.
1: And as people grow apart, stopped hanging out with that crew and then, uh, I was going to just cover the entire thing. But when I went to talk to the tattoo artist, he said, I mean, it's good work. So let's just cover the banner. And so her name is gone. I saw the cherries, but the name's gone.
2: So what's on it now?
1: So it was on the back of my calf and I actually covered, we did a pirate gal with a, like the steering wheel behind her and the steering wheel covers the banner perfectly. I'm happier with the cover up than the banner. So I'm, I'm, you know, it was a good excuse to get a pinup girl.
2: <laughs> Nobody needs an excuse to get a pinup girl, but very good. How much do you think about the original Jamie? And how much do you not? How do you balance that when you when you see it?
1: I, d- I look back on it and I laugh. I mean, I actually, a friend of ours had known them in Massachusetts. I told them about how she wanted me to do it and then he was taking a sip of his beer, and I said, so I got it, and I, I got a legit spit take out of it. And so that was worth it right there for me, as someone who enjoys making people laugh, to get a spit take in real life uh, was priceless. So that's, that's what I take away from everything. Would I change it? No, it is what it is. You know, I now, I have a great story, I'm talking to you because of it, so.
2: No, don't that was Mike Kalinowski of Baltic, Connecticut. After the break.
5: Well, the scars are never going to disappear. This is something that I can make beautiful. and That's just such a relief.
6: I told her daddy's tattoo meant that he didn't like people that weren't like him. But daddy doesn't feel that way now. So that's why he got it covered up.
2: Hear how two people used fresh ink to help heal old wounds. I'm Kyone Wolf. This is Audacious. Be right back. This is Audacious. I'm Kyone Wolf. Today, we're talking about how people have gotten new tattoos to cover up old tattoos, but this next story is a bit of a different take. And you should know, this conversation deals with self-harm. So if that'll be too tough on the heart, give yourself a break and come back in about five minutes. A Vermont woman named Michaela, who's asked that we only use her first name for privacy, recently heard about a tattoo artist named Alex Lawrence, Alex owns mountainside tattoo in Bellows Falls, Vermont, and he offers to do tattoos for free in certain circumstances, including for those who are looking to cover up their scars from self-harm. And Michaela has an armful. She talked with me while she was at the tattoo parlor with Alex, and I asked her to tell me about how she first began cutting. You'll also hear from Alex during the interview
5: so i I was a foster kid, and some of my foster one of my foster homes kind of introduced me to self-harm as a way to punish myself so they wouldn't have to punish me so whenever I felt like I had done something wrong I'd cut that became a habit of anytime I felt like I made a mistake I had to punish myself how would you know
2: all right I feel better I'm gonna stop for this session at least
5: there's kind of like this release that happens when you cut I don't know quite how to describe it but it just feels like all that bad energy just comes out through the blood, and once that felt like it was out, it was out.
8: And It feels like getting a new tattoo.
5: Yeah, it definitely feels like getting a tattoo.
8: Growing up, I went through a lot of traumatic stuff as a child, and I probably would have been a cutter too, but I found tattooing. I've been tattooing since I was like 15, so fortunately for me, I was able to give myself pain, but it showed it as a tattoo and not a cut. People tend to look at tattoos as being okay but cutting when they see your arm of cuts they look at you differently yeah and this is one of the reasons why i do it for people is because i would be in the chair myself where you're sitting if it wasn't for tattooing
5: yeah tattooing has kind of become this this way of taking pain in my life and making it into something beautiful
2: some people have the opportunity in their experiences to say, "This is my final cut," or "I'm not doing this anymore," and they they have almost like a a ritual for one last cut or a ritual to get rid of the razor or whatever you're using. Did you have that one last cut? No, I think
5: so. I, I ended up meeting um, this family that I call my adopted family, and they really showed me what loving people could be, and through that feeling like i had a purpose and had someone who loved me really allowed me to stop self-harming so it was a process um to be honest it's something that never really disappears even as an adult and being years from self-harming is still always that back of your head thing so i never thought this was going to be my last cut It just it kind of just happened and um now when i think about it i have a lot of really great people in my life that I can reach out to instead of cutting. Um, but it becomes an addiction. People don't understand that that it releases hormones and neurotransmitters and stuff. And it really gives you a, like a high. Um, so it's really hard to leave that because as a person who self harms, that, that is a comforting feeling. Will you tell me about the tattoo. Yeah, it's um, it's going to be it's a forest scene with a deer, um, trees and mountains and a waterfall. Um, it's really supposed to be about my my childhood here in Vermont. Vermont was always this really difficult place for me, um, and I'm kind of reowning it and taking taking um, ownership over my life here in Vermont. Now I can make it into something beautiful.
2: Now, of course, the scars will still be visible to a degree. Yeah. It's gonna
5: make it so it's not the first thing people see when they meet me.
8: You won't have to wear long sleeves to in job interviews and talk to people with your hands behind your back. Your yeah,
5: mind. trying to date, you know, that that's always the real, real hard thing of meeting somebody and them seeing that. So now this is a way that I can decide when someone gets to know about that past. So how does it feel right now, getting this done? It's just a such a great feeling to know that if i'm going to have something permanent on my body like scars i want it to be something beautiful so while the scars are never going to disappear this is something that i can make beautiful and that's just such a relief um knowing that and i'm not going to have to hide anymore Understand.
2: That was Michaela from Vermont. And if you struggle with self-harm, you can text a crisis counselor at 741-471 or call the Trevor Lifeline at 1-866-488-7386. You also heard the voice of Alex Lawrence, owner of Mountainside Tattoo in Bellows Falls, Vermont. Alex is one of many tattooers who also covers up racist tattoos for free. Kevin Betch and David Spenny of Silkworm Tattoo in Hamilton, Ohio do it too. And 34-year-old Dickie Markham took them up on their offer. Dickie talked with me about what led him to getting a large swastika tattooed over his heart and why, after 13 years of having it, he put himself under two tattoo machines on Juneteenth of this year to cover it up completely with a giant black rose.
6: I grew up in a predominantly black neighborhood and I was uh, the target of a lot of violence. And... I knew a lot of white supremacist families in the area. I was friends with their kids. Their parents were pushing the agenda onto me as well. So me being young and impressionable, I was falling for it. Basically, they were showing me, you're not loved by everybody else in this neighborhood, but you're loved by us. So they were giving me this false sense of security to draw me in. They basically made it seem like it was just a big brotherhood whites take care of whites. That's what we do. We love you. As I got older and the more issues I had, I don't know if it was because I was young and I didn't know any better, or they had already gotten to me to the point where I couldn't see anything else, but it really pushed the white supremacist message forward in my mind when I was experiencing even worse things going into high school. I mean, it got so bad that my parents had to withdraw me from high school because of safety reasons it made it almost fact for me and i got out of high school and met a woman and six months into our relationship she was kidnapped sexually assaulted by a black man and that was the tipping point for me that that was the final straw and i went out and got my white supremacist tattoos
2: Yeah, you got a swastika outlined on your chest. And how did it feel to get that, especially once you got it filled in? How did it feel with it on your body in such a prominent position?
6: It felt right at the time. I felt that what I was doing was a good thing. And, you know, every time I talk about it, I kind of kicked myself in the ass for ever feeling that way.
2: What kind of message did you hope it would convey, and to whom
6: that if you are not a straight white Christian, stay away from me. That symbol, even though people are standing up against it, is it is still intimidating in a more intimate setting. So if you get into an argument with somebody, in a parking lot and you take your shirt off, they're more inclined to walk away from you because they don't want to deal with a neo-Nazi. So I also used it as a shield.
2: So what changed?
6: Uh, After the assault, she and I had to move out of state. And when I came back, I started looking uh, looking for work and I started working construction jobs and pouring concrete. And in industries like that, you work with every color under the sun. So working with all these different cultures, the more I got to talking to them, the more I could see that my beliefs were just absolutely wrong. And it wasn't instant. It wasn't something that, you know, I just flip a switch and I was a different person because it took me a while to get over my homophobic mentality as well.
2: Did they go hand in hand, the racism and the homophobia? Uh,
6: Yeah, it's really hard to uh, hate one but not hate the other. For most people, they go hand in hand. I'm sure there are people out there who may have had racial tendencies and got out of it but still have an issue with homosexuality or the LGBTQ plus community. But it's all hate. It's all racism and being prejudiced towards people who aren't exactly like you. When it comes to changing that mentality, it it takes a lot of work.
2: Now, you said that you had kept the swastika tattoo for a while, hoping it would be kind of a punishment. Can you talk more about that?
6: After I started changing my mentality and and really getting to know my coworkers and, and other people of color and different cultures, backgrounds, religions, I started thinking of all the times that I took my shirt off during fights or confrontations and all the people that I know I upset. So as punishment to myself, I did keep the tattoo. I was ashamed of of myself. I was ashamed of that tattoo and I never, I didn't go swimming. I never took my shirt off. I didn't like having my shirt off in my own house. I was just so ashamed of myself and embarrassed of that tattoo that I just I kept it as punishment and kept it covered until I found out I was going to be a father. And that's when I decided to sit down in my kitchen with tattoo equipment and tattoo an X over it.
2: Tell me about that.
6: I didn't want them growing up with the mentality that it's okay to be hateful. So I sat down and I tattooed a big red X over it. But unfortunately, all that black ink from the swastika bled through that red and it just looked like a bleeding swastika.
2: Not... Exactly what you were going for. So you eventually got it completely covered up and on Juneteenth.
6: Yep. A buddy of mine, he contacted me and let me know that there was a local tattoo shop that was covering up racial tattoos. And um, we scheduled it for Juneteenth. And when I went in, we did the cover up and they did it for free. And when it was done, I stood up and I was looking in the mirror and I started crying in front of two men I didn't know. <laughs> okay. So it was it, it was definitely a, a feel-good moment that I didn't have to look in the mirror with shame anymore.
2: When you got home, how'd you explain it to your kids? What'd you say?
6: So my oldest is five and explaining it to a five-year-old was kind of tough. I never told her what what my tattoo meant. So (laughs) uh, we sat down and I I told her uh, the best way I could think to explain to a five-year-old. I told her, you know, daddy's tattoo meant that he didn't like people that weren't like him, but daddy doesn't feel that way now, so that's why he got it covered up. That was the only way I could think to explain it. And then she was watching me on the news and she told me she was proud of me because I didn't hate people anymore. So even a five-year-old knows that it's wrong to hate people. That made me ball my eyes out when she told me she was proud of me.
2: After you got it covered up and you had some pictures from being in the chair and wrote a really heartfelt post on Facebook, and at this point it's at over 50,000 likes or reactions, 22,000 shares, what kind of responses are you getting from people?
6: Most of it is positive. I, I got like a 4,000 messages in four days. So the first couple days, my phone was going off constantly. I've had people from all over the world contact me and tell me that they are so proud of me for waking up. And that that's where a lot of that emotion came from is I, I grew up feeling like I wasn't loved. I didn't feel a connection with anybody and then I get my tattoo covered and I'm getting this overwhelming flood of love and positivity and I mean I I cried for days just happy tears sitting on the couch reading all these messages and I replied to every single one of them.
2: You've gotten overall tons of positive responses. You've gotten supportive media attention a bunch of people like me who want to hear your story because you've You've done the right thing after doing the wrong things, right? And at the same time, you know that this redemption story is made easier because you're white. You know, like black people overall don't get a lot of leeway to evolve. And I wonder how, like, how do you respond to that?
6: I got into a conversation with a a couple people of color that contacted me about um, my cover-up. And... We were talking about basically the civil rights movement and how, you know, protests been going on since the 60s about freedom for black Americans and how um, we live in a society that is completely okay with racism within the government and having all this systemic racism, all these problems. And I know that if people were going to listen to people of color, systemic racism would already be dead. Unfortunately, it's not. And it's going to take guys like me who are white to use their privilege to eradicate it, to destroy it. That is is our job as white people. That is our job to do the things that people of color don't have the chance to do in this country to help them. That way it can get to the point to where if it starts to come back, they can step up and say, no, we're not going to allow this.
2: That was Dickie Markham from Cincinnati, Ohio, and he started his own Erase the Hate nonprofit that raises money so people like him can get their hateful tattoos covered. You can find him and his work on Facebook at Dickie Markham. That's D-I-C-K-I-E-M-A-R-C-U-M. Audacious is produced by me, Jessica Severin Martinez, and Katie Talarski at Connecticut Public Radio in Hartford. Find me on the socials at KionWolf and my email is cwolf at ctpublic.org and online use the hashtag AudaciousPublic. Thanks for listening. And always remember to tip your tattooers. And tip your favorite public radio station. Here's how.
9: 1 800 584 2788. That's the number you can call, or you can go to WMPR.org slash donate to make your pledge of support today. I'm Kat Pastor. I do technical stuff here at Connecticut Public, and I'm here with Betsy Kaplan, who's a producer on The Colin McEnroe Show. She knows the uh, host of the show you're listening to uh, very well, Kyone Wolf. Audacious is a newer show here at Connecticut Public. It started. Pretty much when I started, which is about a year ago, Kyone's rise into this show and how great the show is, is a real testament to how much uh, Connecticut public has uh, expanded um, over the past year and has grown even more into itself. And we couldn't do that without listener support. Uh, we are a listener-funded station. We are not beholden to advertisers. Everything that we do is in service to our listeners. So, uh, we need your support in order to keep this going. So, again, 1 800 584 2788 or WMPR.org slash
0: donate. Kat, you're right. I love, first of all, we have some great new podcasts. It's not just Audacious, but we've got seasoned and we've got disrupted. So, we're really going in the right direction, trying to grow our newsroom and, and some of the products that we put out. But I particularly love Audacious. I have um, a long relationship now with Kayo, and So, I feel a bit of an affinity for the show. Barring any other reason than because I just love Kayone. But the show itself is terrific. I love it. You know, I mean, one of the things I like about public radio is all of our shows. You get to learn about other people, you learn about ourselves really through other people. And Kayone is a master at that. She's such an engaging host. She's got so many great guests. I mean, storm chasers. She had somebody on who can remember everything that they've ever experienced. She said people on who have lived been married more than 50 years. I mean, those are really unusual, kind of uncommon experiences that only Kyone is doing. And it's just a wonderful, wonderful thing. So I don't know. I guess I think one of her taglines is you her goal is to help us understand the misunderstood. And I think she does a wonderful job at that. So you're listening to Audacious right now. If you've listened to the Colin McEnroe show, you know Kyone and her work. So give us a call, 1-800-584-2788, or go online at wnpr.org slash donate.
9: That's right. And when I started here, um, I took over a lot of uh, what Kion was doing before. Not all of yes. it, but you know the technical stuff. And she really took me under her wing. And I, I do have to say, she really is just a very engaging and warm person uh, who's a perfect host for a show exactly like this. <laughs> um, so... And and every time you listen to the show, you really do learn so much about the people on the show and about what they do and what they're about. I don't know if anybody could really do it the way that Kion does. And as Betsy mentioned before, we have expanded even beyond Audacious. There's Season. There's Disrupted. I hear Disrupted being played everywhere, too. I know. <laughs> I know people are loving that. Um, so yeah. we've uh, expanded so much over the past year. We can't do it without your support. And I can tell you that anything... Any amount that you can give just goes such a long way here, and it is used extremely wisely. And uh, when the more that we can gain from our listeners, the more we can give back to our listeners. So it's kind of like a give-and-take mm-hmm. thing. So again, that number is 1-800-584-2788 or WMPR.org slash donate.
0: You make a great point, too, what, did you, what you just said. The more people give, the more we can give back. And you're right. It is sort of a mutual uh, relationship, you know, reciprocity. You know, we try to put out the best products that we can, and then we depend on people to let us know whether they like what we're doing or they don't like what we're doing. That's sort of the relationship that we have. And you and I also want to say that you mentioned Disrupted is being heard everywhere. People probably love it. And I agree. And I think they should, because it's hosted by Khalil Brown, Dean, who was um, a frequent guest on Where We Live's uh, Wednesday morning political roundtable when they were still doing that. Um, but she's a wonderful person, and she's uh, such a smart woman, and, and the show Disrupted is terrific. So, again, we're Kat and I are really excited about some of the programming that's going on here. And Audacious is one of our favorites for lots of reasons. So if you're loving it as much as we are, and if you're loving what you're hearing on Connecticut Public Radio, uh, give us a call at one 800 584 2788. If you don't like using the phone, as a lot of people don't, mm-hmm. <laughs> get fine. Go to slash donate, where you can contribute or get lots of fun gifts as well. Uh, and thanks very much for your support.